Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Amber Furman, and this is episode 56 of the More Than Corporate podcast. Today on the show, I have this really fantastic interview with Mike Sesniak. Mike and I met in Delaware at the Unleash You Now event. He was one of the fantastic speakers at that event. Mike is an entrepreneur, a certified high-performance coach, a speaker, a power lifter. Mike is the founder of Learn, Grow, Earn, the creator of the Fear Hacking Academy, He has a new podcast out called The Results Engine, which is fantastic. You should absolutely check that out. He talks to other entrepreneurs about how to get the most results out of your day, what it means to have high performance, and how to be as productive as you can possibly be. And Mike and I really dig into those topics during this interview. We talk about going to school for engineering or insert whatever it is that you think you want to do at the time that you enroll in college in that sentence. We talk about then having the permission to change your mind. We talk about some of the anxiety and stress and other emotions that can come along with finding out that you're not living your life's purpose and some steps that you can take to make sure that you change that. We talk about what it means to have high performance, how to really tap into your productivity. We get into Mike's Fear Hacking Academy, which I absolutely love. And we really get into his podcast, the purpose behind it, what he's trying to accomplish, and kind of how that all came about. So I am super, super excited for you to hear from Mike. Before we get into that interview, I just want to take a minute to ask you to head over to iTunes, look up the More Than Corporate podcast, and leave a rating and review. This not only helps me understand what topics you're resonating with so that I can bring you more valuable content, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm so that I can get the show out to more people and impact as many lives as possible. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the show in the ratings and review on Apple Podcast. Thanks so much in advance for taking the time to head over and do that. And without further ado, let's jump into this interview with the amazing Mike Sesniak. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Amber, thanks for having me. I am super excited to allow you guys to hear from Mike. You guys just heard his bio and I met Mike while he was speaking at Unleash You Now and was just super impressed by his story and thought that he would be a cool person to have come talk to you guys. So what I'd like to do is um, have you just start by talking about what it was like for high school, Mike, and what you thought your life was going to be like. Did you have like a career goal that you thought you were going to end up in when you were like high school age? Yeah, all I cared about in high school was sports. Uh, I was a three-sport athlete in high school, and my, you know, my entire college search was based on where I could play soccer. So the the system was very much my club team, my travel soccer team would be going to a college showcase, and the showcase was to have a list of all the coaches in attendance. So I would print out that list. I would bring it to my guidance counselor in high school. And he would, you know, based on my academic goals, because by the way, I, I grew up in a family where it was very clear, like you're not going D1 for the sake of going D1. You know, like if you can go D1, amazing, but you're not going to do it at the sacrifice of education just so you could play good soccer. So 
based on the academic goals and like what I wanted to create, we would go through the list together with my guidance counselor. We would highlight or underline or whatever, all the coaches. And then I would come back with my dad. My dad was a lawyer. He would help me draft all the emails to all the coaches and we would fire it out and let them know, Hey, I'm interested in your school. I'll be on this team at this showcase. I would love for you to come see me play. And, um, during one of those messages or during one of those meetings, my guidance counselor was like, Hey, you're good at math and sciences. Do you, you should look at engineering. I'm like, okay, do they make a lot of money? He said, yes. I'm like, sign me up because all I wanted back then was make as much money as humanly possible as fast as possible. So I could retire young and open a pit bull rescue foundation. Okay. Like that was, that was it for me as a kid. And, uh, it has since evolved and, and hopefully I get to do that at some point still, by the way, but uh, that's where it started for me. So I was going to ask you, and you kind of answered the question already, whether your family was education oriented based on the fact that they put so much emphasis on your education. So your dad was a lawyer. What did your mom do? My mom's the accountant in the family. So okay. I don't, I don't talk to her about the financials. <laughs> um, like when it came to some of the investments I was making in myself, I would call my dad because at least I knew that he was coming from like a self-employed mindset and maybe not an entrepreneurial mindset, but he might vibe with me. And uh, I did not even come close to calling my mom for some of those conversations. Uh, but she's always helped me with taxes. So that's been great. That's awesome. So I think it's interesting what you just said, and I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit before we move on in your story. The self-employed mindset versus the entrepreneurial mindset, because I think that those yeah. two things get confused so much. Um, can you talk about what you think the difference is between the two? Here's how I would call it. Like I'm reading a book called The E-Myth right now that maybe you've read. It's a really, really popular book. It's been recommended for countless years, and I've just been dragging my feet, frankly. But uh, he, I think it's Michael Gerber is his name. He paints the picture very, very well. And it's basically the, the myth of entrepreneurship, the entrepreneurial myth, which is basically like we get into business because we hit a point where we realize, hey, I could do this for myself and I could own this damn thing. And then we create a business around what it is that we do. And inevitably, there's many, many different versions of an entrepreneur. And like the tactician is the person that then runs the business, which is not good, by the way, because then it becomes a high paying job that you just own. Right. And that's what I would view self-employed as it's you're in control of your income. You don't have anyone that you're reporting to other than yourself, but you're not like I would view entrepreneurial as bigger thinking, like looking at how you can scale, looking at how you can impact at a much greater level. Uh, and there are a lot of different nuances between those, but that's how I would kind of boil it down in a, in a simplistic way. I love it. And I think that that's a pretty cool way to boil it down. Um, I have not read Emith yet, but I am in the same position as you. It's been recommended to me so many times and I just need to sit down and do it. So I'm glad to hear that it's been valuable for you. So did you end up going to school and becoming an engineer or did yeah. that? You did. How long did you work as an engineer? Between, well, I spent five years at my company and there was a bunch of stuff before that, that I guess we can add to it. So maybe like six, six and a half years. But yeah, the school that I ended up going to, it was harder to transfer into the engineering program than out of it. So I just started in it a year later. Uh, they're like, you got to pick a type of engineering. I'm like, well, I don't want to build stuff. So mechanicals out, don't really care about electricity. So I'm good on that. And the only other option was computer. I'm like, well, computers are sick. Like, let's go with that. And I just never got scared away. Uh, you know, every program, every degree, they all have those classes that are like the make or break. And for us, it was algorithms. And I was taking, I was doing like an all nighter a week 
for that class, I remember. And, uh, but yeah, nothing scared me away. I ended up with that degree and spent about six years or so in the industry, building businesses the entire time for the most part. That's awesome. And so did you, in your um, computer, computer engineering degree, were you doing like hardware related stuff or software related stuff? Software. So uh, my first job out of college, well, tough to call it a job, but basically it was a, a recruiting firm that was, had training built into it. So uh, I committed to this company. They trained me for free for, it was supposed to be 16 weeks for my program. And then they guaranteed me placement in one of their clients once I quote unquote graduated. And their clients were big name, like investment banks and all this stuff. Our office was down on wall street. It was unpaid training. <laughs> so it sucked. Um, especially since I was commuting two and a half hours each way for it. And especially if at this point in time, because I think now if we were to have a conversation about unpaid training, we would have a completely different conversation. But in that mindset where your goal is to graduate and make as much money as you possibly can, unpaid training sucks. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, so I, I did that. That 16 weeks ended up being about six months because of some stuff happening in the company. Hurricane Sandy hits. And I was able to walk away from that contract for free because they had a window to place me and Hurricane Sandy screwed everyone's budgeting up. I got to walk and go get a job that was actually what I was worth, right? I, I was able to rationalize the pay from the other company because I'm like, cool, well, 30 grand they value their training at. I'll split it in half for the two-year contract, add 15 to each of these numbers. And like, I could tolerate the numbers, uh, but it wasn't what I was necessarily worth. So went and found a job on my own where I was working at a big global, like luxury e-commerce company and uh, engineering order processing systems and like inventory management systems for five years or so, a little over five years before I left. And it was a lot of fun, worked with amazing people. That's largely why I stayed. The tech wasn't that exciting at all times, which is thank goodness I wanted bigger things. I wanted bigger, bigger things for me, by the way, like, I wanted to be in business for myself so I could look and be like, well, I'm not getting the engineering like know all right now, but at least I could look at, I'm working with a lot of third party vendors and, and that was difficult. So I'm like, cool, well I could build the soft skills, you know, and just pivot my focus a little bit and maintain my sanity while I was building the business. Um, yeah, I spent like five years there and, and it was all software related, you know, writing code. That's awesome. I am probably more interested in this than my audience, so I'll make it quick. But um, <laughs> my first um, degree where, and I say first, I didn't actually finish it, but my first attempt at a degree um, was computer programming. That's what I thought I was going to do. Nice. And so I started my first year of college was all learning code and, you know, C++ and like we flew to Chicago for competitions and like I loved it and hated it at the same time. Like if like hammers. I understand the, the memes with hammers and computers and why it's cause like anybody who has not had to sit there and figure out where your period's in the wrong place in like 27 pages of code does not understand the true pain of a programmer. Yeah. De debugging is, <laughs> it's, it's a fun situation and it, some, some languages are way worse. Like if you look at like a Python where you can have an extra space somewhere and be pulling your hair out, it's an interesting problem to have to solve and maintain your sanity throughout. Yeah. And I mean, I, um, I'm talking like 2000, 2001 time. So this is mm -hmm. where like you want to print stuff out because the e-readers that we have now isn't quite the same and you couldn't like write on it. So you were printing out these pages of code to look at 
and you can't see extra spaces on a piece of paper. And so it's, it's a disaster. But yeah. I think it's really cool to bring that out because that type of dedication and attention to detail is what's missing in so many uh, successful business owners and successful entrepreneurs. So I kind of love to see the connection between having the technical skills and then getting the personal skills that you were talking about and then taking that into your entrepreneurship. It's crucial. I think that software engineering in a weird way prepared me for a lot of, a lot of business because I think a lot of us, we tend to go to the mindset of like, oh, like it's impossible or like there's no solution. It's like, that's BS most of the time. You might just not have an ideal solution, but that doesn't mean there's no solution. And oftentimes in software, like we're going to have these restrictions where maybe like the capabilities just aren't there. So you can't figure out the solution the way that you want it, but maybe you have to figure out what's the most ideal solution. You could hack around it and build workarounds that like that word workaround. It's a, it's a taboo word but sometimes you needed to and it, it pisses the engineer off because often it's due to business restrictions or, or technological capabilities. But at the end of the day, like everything's figure outable. Like that's the Marie Forleo quote, you know, like engineering very much equipped me with the, the skill set and the arsenal to be able to deal with that and, and reframe things in my mind to do that. So uh, I think it's been super, super valuable for me. That's awesome. So you work for five to six years in this engineering field and then you decide to leave it for some reason. What was the purpose behind getting out? Yeah, well, I decided to leave it immediately. Uh, I just hadn't built anything that I could leave it with, right? Um, you know, rent in New York is super freaking high and I was making a, a great deal of money. You know, I, my career in corporate was very, very linear growth. Okay. You know, it was every year was a big pay raise or a big promotion. The promotions probably should have happened faster. If you asked me back then, I would have said a thousand percent deserved it faster. Uh, but that comes with bigger corporations. There's a lot of yellow tape and political BS, but you know, it grew very, very fast. And I had all of the targets I wanted at a very early age. Like I had the six figure salary. I had the senior title. I had the luxury apartment all by like the age of 25. And it was going really, really well. But the entire time I knew I wanted to build something for myself. And part of that was probably like, I've always been the person that wanted to create. Like in fifth grade, I started a duct tape wallet company. Like, what do you need money for in fifth grade? Like if I <laughs> wanted to go to the movies, my parents would have dropped me off because I'm like 10 years old at that point. Been like, here's 10 bucks. Have fun at the movies with your friends. Like, I don't know why, but I always wanted to create. I worked retail for 10 years starting as early as they would let me. I think it was like eighth grade up until through the beginning of that software career, that unpaid piece. I would be like Saturday and Sunday working at the ski shop uh, to make some money. And luckily my parents helped me with the commute because I wouldn't be able to make enough money on those two days to cover the, you know? So um, I was always trying to create. So it wasn't like a split decision, like screw this, I'm out. It was the culmination of, I built that mindset forever really. And I was just testing and testing and testing and trying to build something that I could take full time. So the coaching and consulting was the third business I created while at that job. Uh, but it was the first that I could really scale and impact the way that I wanted. And the stars kind of just aligned to, 
to take it full time at that point. I love it. I have to backtrack just a little bit um, and ask you what the hell is a duct tape wallet? I'll show you. <laughs> it's a wallet made out of duct tape. So if you're not watching the video, I, I'm sorry you're missing this beauty right now. But this is literally a vinyl camouflage duct tape wallet with a Velcro latch, a Velcro coin purse right now, <laughs> like credit card slots, bill slots. I dominated the market, Amber. Amber, like, well, it was I mean, awesome. The, the, <laughs> so I know that my dad is like looking down on this, just like completely praising you right now because he was convinced that you could make everything possible out of duct tape. Like if, if you can't make it out of duct tape, it doesn't deserve to exist. And this is the first time I've ever heard of a duct tape wallet. And I feel like I've been like cheated my entire life. I made like 300 bucks when I was 10 years old. That's by amazing. Making, by sticking a bunch of duct tape together. So it was fun. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like it. And I'm impressed that you still have it. So that's awesome. I'm so happy that I have it. I like found it one day and I started doing all these interviews at my desk. And one day I like reached, I'm like, wait a second, it's right here. Cause I was telling the story and I just showed it. So now I just keep it there. I want to use it, but I'm afraid I'll break it. And like the duct tape's like, I don't know, 15 years old. So <laughs> like, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to mess that up. Maybe I'll keep it as a souvenir antique. I like it. I like it. Or maybe, you know, we're heading into like the zombie apocalypse time of life. And so maybe people are looking for duct tape wallets and they can make a, a reprise. Maybe. Maybe. So that's awesome. So anyways, you have this back to what everybody wants to hear about. <laughs> um, you have this coaching consulting business that you created while you were working in corporate. And what point in time did you feel like it was safe for you to walk away from this corporate environment and and pursue this full-time and kind of what was the mindset idea behind that yeah well never uh it, it sorry for making you choke on your water right no now. that's okay it was the perfect answer uh it wasn't safe you know i was making a lot of money in engineering and rent's really high in new york I had just ripped my business to the floor and built a whole new business model. So I was starting from scratch, leveraging five figures in debt at 0% interest or very close to it. So I was doing it responsibly, but I personally funded the business and it wasn't safe. There was nothing safe about it. And, and I'm like the competitive side of me is proud of that. And, uh, but that like seeking that safety actually, created like a very negative mindset for me in a weird way. Uh, because when I did finally jump off the cliff, I realized that I had developed this hor horrible money mindset because we look at it and like all those things I mentioned, like rent, salary, like quote unquote guaranteed income, right? Hint, hint, not guaranteed ever. ever. Um, and you know, the only thing I wanted Amber was to take my business full time. I just wanted, I, I, I was miserable in my day to day at that point. I loved the people I was working with. I felt out of, but I felt out of alignment with the company. There was a lot of like political shifting in the company, a lot of layoffs, all these things that we experienced. And uh, I felt very out of alignment with some of those values and the way that things were being handled. And um, I wasn't excited about the work anymore. And I wanted nothing more than to take this business full time. But I had these money targets 
that were like, I got to make a hundred grand in the business before I can rationalize doing it. Like, let's be real. Doing the five to 7 a.m., 7 to 11 p.m., like Gary Vee side hustle type thing, it's difficult to make a hundred grand. Like, really difficult. And uh, either way, it was the only thing I wanted. And the only thing in the way was money. So intrinsically, money became, became everything, which is a very negative mindset to have. And I didn't realize it was buried in this subconscious. I remember I was down at a, in Fiji at a, an event, Tony Robbins Life and Wealth Mastery. And we were doing an exercise. Basically, like you would partner up with someone, you gave them your worksheet and they would ask you the questions. And it would be like verbal, like verbal diarrhea, like say whatever comes to mind so that they can capture it all. And you don't have to like, there's no filter, there's nothing. And he was asking me all these questions around money and the word everything. Like he was like, what is money? And the word everything kept popping up to me. And I'm like, I literally said out loud, I don't know that I believe this, but it keeps coming up. I feel I have to say it. And I was just like, money's everything. And it had been buried because I thought I knew, I thought I had all these good beliefs. Like money's a tool. It just provides opportunity. Like none of the BS that everyone wants to tell us of money makes you evil and all this. Like, no, it's a magnifying glass. If you're an asshole without it, you're going to be a bigger <laughs> asshole with it. So I thought I had this great view of it, right? It, it could just provide the opportunity for the people I care about, the loved ones, like everybody. I could have the impact that I wanted at scale with it. But this underlying belief is that it was everything. And it really, really held me back. And I don't know, I'm ranting at this point because it's something that I'm really passionate about, but it wasn't safe, you know? And if I stuck to that belief, I'd still be in corporate and I would be for a very long time. And by the way, jumping off the cliff when it's not safe, like life's going to punch you in the throat a lot. And um, that's going to happen. And it's why it's important to connect, you know, with like-minded people that can be like, nah, you know what? Like I've been through that and, and you're going to survive. And here's what you got to do to get to that next level. And I was blessed to be around those people when I inevitably hit those lower points. And yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it wasn't safe, but it took me five years to get there. I thought it was going to be like three, but it took, it took a bunch of stuff happening in Fiji and like climbing a telephone pole and torrential downpours and a lot of this interesting stuff that really helped me paint the picture of, of what my reality was. And I could then execute on it when I got back to the States and I gave my notice six days later. So. That's awesome. And I think that what you talked about, about it not being safe is so important because people get in this false sense of security thinking yeah. that because somebody else is making the money that it's more safe to work for somebody else than it is to work for yourself. And I think yeah. if you go ask anybody who's ever been a part of a mass layoff, they will tell you that um, that's just not the way life works. You know, um, I experienced that. Yeah. You know, you experienced like that mass layoff type thing or yeah, just, there, yeah. there were two, the year that I left, the year before I left, they had announced 2,000 jobs cut in my company. And there were two huge rounds of layoffs. There have since been, I think, a couple rounds since I left. Um, but yeah, it's... Man, one time I was literally out in California recruiting for an internship program that I was running. And I was had eight hours of interviews. And I was coming out of interviews, finding out which of my friends had been laid off. Oh, like my by gosh. The by the time I left, there were two senior engineers left at the company from when I started. And they were both on my team. There were other senior engineers on my team. How did that affect you mentally? Like, I mean... It sucked. As far as like this idea that 
you needed to have a certain amount of money in order to move forward. Did that affect your idea that you could move forward faster or were you still stuck on the money idea at that point in time? No, I, I hadn't had the breakthrough that I alluded to earlier yet, but I wasn't worried about it. Mainly, honestly, because I was looking at it like an opportunity. I'm like, cool, well, screw it. If I get laid off, I'll get some severance and I'll be able to, one, I'll be able to find another job. Like engineering, engineering recruiting is like the most savage industry in the world. I was getting like 20, 20 emails a week about jobs. So I wasn't really wow. concerned. Um, but at the same time, I was also looking at as opportunity. I'm like, cool, let me make sure I built this to the point where like, if that does happen, I'll have some severance. I'll have a little runway. Let me just give it my all. And, and it is what it is. And that's a very toxic culture to be breeding within a company uh, or to be growing, excuse me, not like I'm not the one spreading that, like that's just what was there. But yeah, it was difficult because, you know, you do have that view of guaranteed income, like it's safe. And I never believed that. But the reason it was so scary to me is that it proved everything I believed to be true. Like everything I believed about, I needed to take ownership and I needed to, you know, like no one cares about my growth as much as I do. Like I need to be the one driving it forward and I need to take control over a lot of these things. Like it proved it to be true. And I hated that I was right about it. But I also love that I was right because I'm like, hell yeah, like I was right. Uh, <laughs> there's definitely that ego piece and that competitive nature. But I hated that it was right because it was affecting my friends. And like, man, some of them were here on visa. And like they were worried about losing their visa if they didn't find a new job. Like some people had families that they relocated. Like it's a, it's a very harsh reality of bigger business. And uh, as I get, as I grow into the entrepreneur that builds a business with a big team, I hope I never have to do anything like this but I understand that it's important and needs to happen. So I don't know. I, I feel like I was able to look at it from that perspective and be like, I get it, but it still sucks. So yeah, for sure. So I, I hear a lot in what you're talking about as far as this like mental understanding of this like value to yourself and listening to yourself and understanding that, that what you thought was, was right. Was there some, were you raised that way or was there something that caused you to seek out that type of mentality and like the Tony Robbins path and the like own your own future type thing. I think it was a culmination of, of everything really. Like after, after college, I really, it's interesting. I started, I guess like reading, right. Uh, personal development because I wanted to grow my software career. I'm like, my mentality was I'm spending two and a half hours each way on freaking trains for unpaid training right now. If I don't do something productive and I'm just giving away five hours of my day for nothing, I'm going to lose my mind. So, you know, I started to read books that I knew would advance my career. And then eventually it transitioned into entrepreneurial stuff. And then eventually it was some businesses that I was a part of that connected me with great mentors. And, and it was just all leading me down this path of, of like firmly believing that entrepreneurship wholeheartedly was the way for me to change my life and create the reality that I wanted for the people I love. And I think it all just developed on that path. That's awesome. So when you started doing your coaching business full time, what did that look like for you? Did you have the security that you wanted at that point? And if not, how did you deal with that to allow yeah. yourself to keep pushing forward? 
Yeah. So yes and no. When I, when I was leaving Fiji, when I was leaving that trip, I committed to myself that I would map out two hours on my calendar to get immense, intricate detail on what my financial situation was like so that I would know what my runway would be like if I left right now. Could I make that happen? And if no, what needed to happen to get me there? And what, what window was I going to give myself to do that? And I, I looked at my finances and I said, cool, I have X number of months. Like this is my exact monthly expenditure. This is what it costs for me to live and not get rid of too many of my lifestyle things. Like I'm not getting rid of the gym because we get one vehicle. And if I don't take care of that, I'm not going to be able to show up powerfully for my business. I, and obviously like making sure that that was as low cost as possible, but like being effective and efficient without making sure that I was only eating ramen noodles. You know what I mean? Um, so I mapped out what that expense report looked like and uh, what that runway looked like for me and realized I had a certain number of months worth of, of money and I needed to make something happen. And if I didn't, then I would need to really figure out what was going on and, uh, and start to pivot a little bit. So that's what it looked like for me. The only reason they waited six days though, to give my notice, I, I mapped out two hours for as soon as I landed, I gave myself a couple hours to sleep because it was like 36 hours of travel door to door from Fiji. Um, and then I had two hours mapped out, created all of it and I was ready to do it on Monday, but I wanted to go home. I was living in Jersey city at the time. I wanted to go home and, uh, speak with my parents so that it was, this is what I'm going to do. Not, this is what I did. I wanted to involve them in that, uh, and enroll them in my belief. Uh, so that they felt like they were part of the conversation. And uh, so that's what I did. That's the only reason it took six days uh, to and put that notice in. your mom, was she on board with this at this point or was the accountant kicking in? By the end of the conversation, she was. Oh, good. Um, yeah. When I first told her, I remember I was sitting, they were, they were in bed like watching TV or whatever. Everyone was like sitting up in bed and I sat on the edge of the bed and I was talking to them about it. And I was super nervous, man. Like I was real nervous to talk about it. And when I first said it, she looked like she saw a ghost. Um, but by the end of it, she she was fully – they've always supported everything. I want to make that clear. But they were very, very much in agreement. Like now is the time for you to to really do this. I was, I guess – I don't know. I was in my twenties. Uh, I am in my twenties, but like I'm young. I didn't have a family, didn't have kids, didn't have any of that stuff. Like my only responsibilities were my bills for myself, my life and my business. So now was the time for me to take that risk, you know, and, and bet on myself. And, and they very much agreed with that by the end of the conversation. So, you know, everyone felt really good walking away from it. That's awesome. So when I heard you speak at Unleash You, one of the things that really stuck out at me was the fact that you had um, created this program that you had called Fear Hacking. And to me, that just spoke so much because I know for me personally, and I think for a lot of people out there, what stops us from doing the things that we really want to do, or even what stops us from acknowledging the things that we really want to do is fear. And so mm -hmm. can you talk about like how you came up with that and what that um, kind of consists of a little bit and how you use that to help people through these limiting beliefs that they have that sometimes prevent them from even seeing what they want. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, fear hacking for me, it was a practice that I just deployed for myself. 
you know, whether that was, uh, I didn't really go into this now during our talk today, but I did on my talk in that event during that climb in corporate when everything was amazing and like sunshine and rainbows on the outside behind closed doors, I was completely broken. You know, I was struggling a ton with anxiety, debilitating panic attacks that put me on like two to three day funks. It was really, really bad. You know, there was a bunch of different areas of my life where I felt like I was just losing a piece of me. Like something would happen, whether it was one of those attacks or, uh, or whatever it was, like some stuff going on in my personal life where I would pivot focus and I would fall into a routine that didn't serve me where I lost a piece. So it started as that. I'm like, I need to get this stuff back in my life. Like the, the content I'm posting on social media, like my from an impact perspective, right? Like I, I wanted to grow my brand because I knew that I wanted to scale that impact. For like meditation, fitness, nutrition, all these things that I was just losing. So it started as like for my personal life. And then I'm like, damn, that worked real well. Let me see if I could do it more business oriented. And then it became, you know, Instagram posts for the business account and blog posts and Facebook lives and all these other metrics that were more business driven. And they were still, uh, still personal pieces like the meditation. And I wanted to learn how to speak Polish back then. So I was doing an hour Polish lesson a day for, uh, I added that afterwards because the blitz wasn't hard enough, <laughs> but then it started to go into the fit uh, the business world. And at this point, I was still drastically neglecting the coaching industry. I was resisting it. People were pushing me into it. I'm like, screw that. I ain't a coach. I don't want to be a part of that. I had a very negative stigma uh, for me personally because I saw rented Lambos and stacks of cash on Instagram. And I saw like 17-year-old life coaches. And I didn't understand what, what coaching was. Right? I didn't realize that I didn't need to have the solutions to just give people. I just needed to help navigate the breakthroughs and, and help facilitate the conversations. And uh, so that was my, my bad. I take ownership of that, but it created this environment where I was like, Nope, don't want to be associated with it. But you fast forward a little bit and you know, that journey with anxiety and panic, I realized that I had no idea what productivity was. And I just thought it was like, checking things off of a to-do list, getting things done. You know, I thought if I wasn't working 47 hours a day, I wasn't being productive enough. Yes. And um, that opened me up to the world of high performance. And the reason that's important is because you fast forward, eventually I'm listening to a podcast. It says one thing that's so simple and I'd heard a million times before, but for whatever reason, it was delivered in a way that was powerful for me and resonated. And that was that decisions are emotional. They're not logical. And that one thing unlocked everything as to why fear hacking worked. I'm an engineer. I'm a data-driven dude. I don't, I didn't really like Everything I do with my clients, with myself, it's all backed by science in some capacity, right? Nothing that's just seemingly woo-woo. And I'm not going to share that with everybody. I'll maybe test it for myself, but like if it doesn't work, it ain't going. So everything needs to be data-driven for me personally. And that helped me unlock the science of like why this was working. Fast forward three more months. I go to an event in Ohio. I meet Brendan Burchard. He's the world's leading high-performance coach. I hear the terms high-performance. I'm like, I could resonate with that. Life coaching, hell no, but high performance <laughs> coaching, let's go. Because it's the lens that I've always looked at everything through. That, that athletic lens from high school and college, right? And then into the gym and something I'm super proud of, like pivoting that aggressive thinking, that aggressive focus, that aggressive work ethic into all these different areas. 
And it's undoubtedly why I've excelled in a lot of these areas. So, you know, it was words that I could resonate with on the flight home. I wrote fear hacking's curriculum and that's like the backstory of how it came to fruition, but in its simplistic form, fear hacking Academy. Now it's a digital course uh, that I offer and, it's an educational program that helps you understand why that works, understand the decision-making process, habit building, all these different things, and then arms you with a skill set where you can then deploy that against anything that's important for you, whether it's personal, business, et cetera. Super versatile, but essentially we're just hacking the decision-making pro process, like leveraging fear instead of getting paralyzed by it. Because fear, it's the most powerful form of the decision-making. It's like, it comes down to pain versus pleasure, running away from pain or seeking pleasure and running away from pain is far more powerful. So if we can learn to, you know, manufacture those situations and learn to hack that process, we could do what frankly, we already know we need to be doing. We're just hesitating. And this is a process that, that we can do it. So do it with a lot of sales teams, a lot of like, literally it's, it's remarkably versatile. I've done it in personal life and professional life and, and we've crushed it in all areas. So I'm super proud of that program. I love it. And, and for me, because I didn't realize how much of my life was spent in fear when you were mm -hmm. talking about that on stage, I was like, yeah, this, this guy, like that thing. And it just resonates with me. Have you seen the movie Chasing Mavericks on no, Amazon Prime? So I, I talk about this a ton in my Facebook groups, but um, it's the story of Jay Moriarty, who's a, a professional surfer or was a professional surfer and his like story and all this stuff. But in a conversation with him and his coach in the movie, they're diving and he sees the shark and he like panics. So they get up and his coach asks him like, what the hell was that? And he's like, what do you mean? What was that? I just saw a 10 foot shark. And he goes into like fear and panic are two separate emotions. And he's like, fear is healthy and panic is deadly. And yeah. for a long time, I actually had that written on my bathroom mirror. Because when you're talking about a sports context or something to that effect, like panic can truly be deadly. Like you, you lose your breath underwater or you lose your focus and yeah. you get yourself in a situation. But if you take that into your life, like panic's just as deadly to your dreams and your goals and your aspirations because you like pull back. And so for me, it just spoke to everything that I had been experiencing. And that's what I think about every time I think about your fear hacking program. Is like that awesome. same. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to touch on what you said about you didn't have to have all of the solutions because I think that so many of us get caught on that in everything in life. Um, but first of all, in the coaching world, I think that the coaches that go into it trying to tell everybody what the solutions are, are the coaches that fail. Because honestly, yeah. your solution isn't my solution. It's yeah. not the same. And so the, the great coaches in whatever aspect they're in are the people that are, are allow you, are able to like guide you into figuring out what your solutions actually are for your mm -hmm. particular purpose. And I think that that's so important to touch on. Yeah. I mean, I think that the word coach is interesting to me nowadays because everyone's a coach and a lot of, a lot of them are just really consultants. And that's an important distinction. I think for me, coaching is what we're talking about right now, which is I'm not, I literally every session that I, I, whenever I'm starting to work with a client, it starts with, listen, I'm not here to solve problems. I'm just help to, here to help navigate conversations and help you facilitate your own breakthroughs and your own transformations. And that's a really, really important thing that I didn't understand back then. 
I'm not here to just give you, you know, a funnel to plug into your sales site to make more sales or whatever. Like consulting is helping solve problems and helping give solutions uh, where it's like out of the box. Here you go. This is what works. Let's go roll with it. And like business coaching, like that, that gets thrown in that world a lot as well. But for me, coaching is, I'm not solving problems. I'm asking good questions, right? And, and helping navigate a conversation wherever it, it takes itself, but navigating and being able to keep a finger on the pulse of the conversation to help you navigate it to your own breakthrough. So that's a huge distinction for me that I didn't realize back then. And um, it, it fed that stigma, but hey, I made it here where I belonged anyway. So, you know, that, there's, no, there's no mistakes, but. Absolutely. That's the important thing. So I want to take a minute to touch on this new amazing thing that you have, and that's your um, results engine podcast. Can you talk about like what made you decide it was the right time to do that and how that's been going for you? Yeah, I, it's so exciting, Amber. It's so I ran a podcast many years ago. I did it for two years. I had so much fun with it, met so many amazing people. We did like 200 uploads, tens of thousands of downloads. It was a lot of fun. But when I started to build the coaching company, I, I was building it as a side hustle for a year and a half, you know, and I wanted to be very careful with where my time, energy and financial resources went. So I ended up shelving it. And I wanted to do it for so long. I was getting so much push to feedback to like go back into the space. It was weird to me. The number of times people said like, you have a great voice for radio. I'm like, well, it's better than having a great face for radio, I guess. <laughs> but like, it was interesting how often I was hearing that, but the, the important piece for me was I was getting a lot of feedback from mentors of mine, people, friends that I was really looking up to saying, Hey, you need to do this. And I felt like I was at a point where my network had grown to a point where I could facilitate amazing conversations uh, that would be very transformational for people. And that's what we're doing. So the results engine podcast is we launched it end of last year. We we're able to rank it top 50 in entrepreneurship in us and Canada. Super, super grateful for it. The launch has been amazing. The guests have been amazing. Um, and it's just raw, authentic conversation around what it actually takes to get to that next level. You know, digging into people's stories, looking at the highs for perspective, but the lows for the lessons and really looking at it through a lens of high performance and coming in, this is like, January 16th, I think that we're recording this, but starting in February, we're going to be launching a solo episode every week as well. So we'll be doing two interviews a week and a solo episode, digging into like the nitty gritty tactical stuff of the high performance world and productivity and, and all these sorts of things where we can arm them with the skill sets to actually get to that next level. So I'm super excited about it. It's a huge, probably the, it is the biggest passion project for me. The biggest focus for me in 2020 is really growing that audience and scaling that impact because I'm really proud of what we're doing. And, and I'd love to see everybody over there. It's on all major podcast players, wherever you listen to this, like type in the results engine podcast, you'll see a big red cover and uh, yeah, you'll find it. Awesome. I've, um, excuse me, I'm super excited to, to see that grow. And I'm super excited for the solo episodes as well, because these interviews are great, but it's that like short how to of like, yeah. what can I take into? Cause the, the interviews really get to that mental aspect of, okay, some like changing your perspective of what's possible in the world by seeing what other people have done and realizing yeah. that it's possible. 
but those solo episodes of, okay, this is the tactical way for you to sit down and make these changes. And this is kind of where you want to start to figure out what your path is, I think is so important. Yeah, I agree. I, I appreciate that. And I agree, you know, like when I'm facilitating an interview and I'm sitting down next to someone that like is we've all probably been learning from on Instagram for the last however long our entrepreneurial journey has been and I'm digging into their story. That's not really necessarily the platform. I don't think for me to then dive into what I believe is the tactical execution piece for something that they're like the lesson that they're sharing, you know, and, and a solo episode is the opportunity for me to then be like, Hey, so-and-so shared this. It's amazing. I want to expand on it. Cause I want to do it justice because what they shared is such a gem. And then I can dive into it from like the perspective of high performance, like the world that I live in and what's driven the needle forward for a lot of my clients and breakthroughs that they've facilitated and stuff like that. So I'm super excited for it as well. I'm starting to map out what that's going to look like and really excited to jump into that. That's cool. And I love the passion project thing because I can totally get that. And I think it's really cool that so many times our passion projects end up turning into that thing that we were just supposed to be doing the whole time. And so I am, I'm excited to see that for you. So thank you. Um, so something that I ask everybody on the podcast, because obviously this is about defining your own idea of success is if you had to define success right now, what does success mean to you? And how has that changed for you throughout your life? Yeah, it's very simple. It's servant leadership. My, my number one life pillar is impact over income. And it's why I ended up in the mastermind that I'm in. It's why I've you know, done everything. It's why I keep the book, The Go-Giver, right here because Bob Berg and John David Mann so eloquently put it, your income will always be directly proportional to the number of lives that you touch in a positive way. I got to interview Bob the other day for my podcast and it was such a freaking treat because this book changed the game for me when my uncle sent it to me many, many years ago. And I've relentlessly recommended it to people more than anything else I've ever read in my life, more than all the OG great books ever. And they're amazing. This one's better for me. So that's what success looks like. I love Gary V's vision of like, I want there to be like standing room only at my funeral type of thing. And that's kind of like what it is. Like I want to have such a big impact that financially I'm rewarded so I could provide what every, like abundance for the people I love. And I know that that won't happen unless I solve such a big, big problem that helps so many people because the market rewards that. So uh, that's kind of what it looks like for me. Just being of service, being someone that, that carries themselves in such a way that people love to be around them. People look up to them um, because they know that they can support them in some way. That's, that's what it means for me. That's awesome. When you, when you get to do that type of an interview, um, I have to know whether I'm the only one, um, when you get to do that type of an interview, do you ever find yourself listening? And then all of a sudden you're like, shit, I have to ask a question. Like you just get so wrapped up in the fact that you're listening to this person that you've looked up to for so long and you get lost in the fact that you're actually supposed to be like performing an agenda. Uh, I haven't yet <laughs> for me. It, I, I've definitely had like the holy crap, what am I going to ask next? Because I'm so like, I hope I don't, I hope I don't figure out what to ask next because I'm so engulfed and loving every second of talking to this person. Yeah. I definitely felt that. Uh, but for something like that, like when I was interviewing Bob, it was just such a treat. And I knew what I wanted to talk about because of the fact that I 
like I love this book like so much. So I re-listened to it before uh, jumping into the interview so I could brush up on like really digging into some of the principles because I, I think that some of them people will be like, okay, yeah, that's nice. But like, I'm going to find X, Y, Z edge case as to why it's not true. And I, I pressed them on some of that stuff. So it was really cool to have the conversation and um, there, are, there are no edge cases by the way, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. When does that episode release? It was, it's out already. It It was episode, episode seven. Yeah. Awesome. I'll have to go check that out. It's, you have to let me know what you think because it was such a fun conversation for me. Um, and it's, it's indication that you're on the right path. I think, you know, where all of a sudden people that were, were like mentors and idols, like you're getting to chop it up and connect with them. And, uh, that was really, really cool for me to, for me to experience. So that's awesome. I, I love it. Well, so many times we sit around and talk about our successes and the things that we've done right. And I want to dig into the other side of that and ask you if there was a particular time that you experienced something that at the time you thought was a failure and that ended up turning out to be something that was necessary for your success. Every single failure, every single one, because I think that... I don't know, the word regret gets thrown around and I think that it's an interesting word. Um, are there things that I wish may have gone differently? Yeah, but I might have been, I might have been restricting myself or, or you know, protecting myself from a necessary lesson and I wouldn't be who I am today without everything I've been through. So there's definitely parts that sucked, don't get me wrong, and it sucked to go through them, but I was stronger because of it. So it, it, I could... I could pick any of them, but anything that's deemed a failure was a necessary thing to overcome, to grow into the person that could handle the next set of failures that would teach me a new level of lessons. Because I think it was Mark Manson talking about it in the subtle art of not giving a fuck. He talked about like, there will never be the absence of problems, right? Right. We'll always just upgrade to newer problems. So the, the goal is upgrade to problems that we're okay with dealing with. Yeah. You know, like I remember the day that I interviewed Bob, for example, I was flying home from California on a red eye. Here's, here, this is crazy. As you know, there's a window where Apple approves a podcast. It's mm-hmm. like, might be two days, might be five. Good luck launching it effectively because <laughs> can't time any of your content well. You know what I mean? My podcast got approved. First of all, I got sick during the entire launch week. So I lost three days, like like sidelined completely. Lost three days of my seven-day launch plan or eight-day launch plan. Then on top of it, I was about to fly to California for a three-day mastermind, one-day give day, which is like we spend the entire day just loving on the homeless population. We were making backpacks, handing them out to the homeless in LA. Uh, so one day of that, one day of a mission trip down to Tijuana for a uh, for International Network of Hearts, actually, this charity that my or a nonprofit that my friend's family runs. So we then went down there. I had five in-person interviews. And in that week, while I was sick, my buddy Cole Hatter calls me up and says, hey, by the way, you're speaking at our, our mastermind. I'm like, sick. All right, now I got to prepare a talk as well. So all that happens. I'm on the way to my gate in the airport and I get a notification that the podcast finally got approved. And they're like, sick. Now I got to execute this launch plan. So it was wild. Then I go through that trip. I fly home on a red eye. And on the way home from the red eye, I'm like starting to look at my calendar and I realize I have seven hours of meetings in eight hour window, five of which were podcast interviews. 
after wow. flying home on a red eye. And I'm 6'5". I don't fit on planes. So you don't sleep too well on a red eye. And the first of those interviews, thankfully it was the first, so I was somewhat fresh, was with Bob Berg. So I'm looking at him like, this sucks. Like this is a huge problem, but it's a great problem to have. And I'd rather have those problems than problems I used to have, right? So yeah, I, I wanted to share that story to kind of illustrate this. Like we're, we're seeking, these are great problems that I'm experiencing right now. And I have to be grateful for them because the problems before sucked and I leveled up into the, the reality of now where I have these problems. And sometimes like they're difficult still, but they're going to help arm, like help me build that armor and build that skill set into the person that, that earns the new set of problems. So yeah, they all suck at some point, but I wouldn't take them. I wouldn't give them away. You know, I like, love it. I love it. And it's so interesting that you just talked about that because the subtle art of not giving a fuck is the book that I gift to everybody that I meet. Like if, if we're talking about books, I think I've probably sent, I don't know, 50 or 60 copies of the subtle art of not giving a fuck out to people because it's yeah. one of the, one of the books that changed my life. And he actually has a new book out that is on my desk and I'm waiting to read, um, that says everything is fucked a book about hope. And so yeah. I'm super, super excited to read that. But, um, that I idea that of like, you're never going to run away from your problems. Like happiness and fulfillment comes from solving problems and you just get to pick which ones you get to solve. That's just, it's such a different way to talk about life. Yeah, exactly. Awesome, man. Well, that is a super, um, I think, interesting way to go ahead and wrap this up. So what I'd like to do is head into a quick random round and let everybody get to know you if that, if that works for you. Let's do it. All right. So what profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? Real estate, like, like investing, as a, as an, building, as a, or? As I will be in the investment side of things. And I have a business that supports agents, but I, I think being an agent would be really interesting. That's awesome. Um, if you could travel, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Mm, that's interesting. You know what? I would probably go... Uh, and I'm going to leave the time frame generic because I don't want to favor a certain grandparent because they were all amazing or they are all amazing. Uh, but my grandparents collectively have accomplished some of the most badass stuff I've ever heard of in my life. Um, from my grandpa, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers spent four and a half years in Auschwitz. One spent a year in the NFL and then went on to create a company. Uh, my other, my grandmother was like the first woman to get a PhD in her field from MIT after escaping the Holocaust. Like, uh, and my other grandmother was like the rock as my grandfather was moving from the NFL to business and like helped create all of this amazingness that I'm blessed to be a part of with my family. So I would love to go to some of the earlier times of those, uh, of those journeys where I could really, um, really get to know like what they were like. I would love to be able to interview them in this same capacity about some of those lessons. One of my grandfathers passed away before I was born. So I never got to, uh, got to meet him, but I think that would be really cool because I'm definitely a product of so many of those things. And, um, yeah, it'd be really cool to be able to, to go back into some of those different eras and, and learn about them. I'm probably supposed answer. to have short answers for this, aren't I? No, but like, no, not, not short not answers thing, at all. So. Okay, there, cool. are, there are no rules here, man. I <laughs> no, I, I love that answer because I, I would love to be able to go back and have conversations with my dad about 
I just don't feel like we can really appreciate what they do and what they accomplish when we're young and in that moment. And then we get to this point and we can't go have those conversations with them always. And yeah. so to be able to like head back and like take the knowledge and this, the experiences that we have now and insert them into ourselves when we're watching our parents live their life when we're kids, like I think that that would be super cool. So I love that answer. Um, what personality trait do you think has been most helpful to you? And, um, if you want, what personality trait has gotten you in the most trouble? Mm. What's got me in the most, it, it might be the same answer. Actually. I would say like my intensity and like aggressive nature, uh, it's very much served me because when it comes to like sickening work ethic, it's all the same stuff. Uh, and like a lot of people appreciate that blunt nature, but a lot of people don't <laughs> and Truth. like developing that empathetic side, which I've always had, by the way, I've always loved people. It was just very much masked because I was very, uh, historically very like monotonous, both facial expression and tonality. And, um, so it was kind of like shielded, uh, no one really knew that it existed. So making sure to bring that to light has been really important for me and, um, but yeah, it's probably the thing that's gotten me furthest and the most in trouble. I love it. Um, so when you are consuming books, do you like to read them, like physically hold them or are you an audiobook listener? Both. So I listen to audiobooks and underline in the physical book. Uh, reason for that is I'm a very touch and like my, my physical library is one of my most prized possessions. I'm a very kinetic learner, like touch and feel like I like a physical book. Um, but I was also the kid that had to learn how to take the SATs cause I read so slow. So I had to know which questions to like guess on. Right. Um, and just like circle answers cause it wasn't worth spending the time cause I wouldn't have read that fast. The reason that audiobook audiobooks give me the confidence that's like, this is going to take me eight hours cause I know how long the freaking audiobook is. Plus then I have every, I underline every passage that's really powerful for me. And then I can go and transcribe them into a Google doc. So at the end of a book, I'll have a 20 page document that I could share with like friends, clients, all the above, where it's like 20 page Google doc of all the excerpts of the book that were really powerful for me. And then I can just go back and reread that as I, as needed. So that's how I do it. And are you doing these at the same time or do you listen to the audiobook first and then go back in, or do you have the book in no, front of you both. while you're listening I, to the audio? I'm underlining as I'm listening. I like it. I've never thought about doing that, but that I may totally like swipe your idea. I, I love that so much. Okay. So what are you listening to right now? Or actually, let me change that. The better question, and you may have already answered it, but if you were to tell somebody one book that you thought would change their life, what book is it? The Go-Giver. Okay. That's what I expected you to say. Um, I'm a music nerd, so I have to throw this question in there. What song like pumps you up right now? What motivates you? Mm, that's a good question. I'm listening to a lot of Lil TJ right now. He's a young rapper out of the Bronx, but I don't know. Like Some of his newer music is like is very motivational. I used to listen to a lot of really hardcore rock and like aggressive rap when I was powerlifting. I just finished my last competition last November. Uh, I was actually training for it at Unleash You. I had to leave for a couple hours to go get a session in. I like oh, wow. Mike Faber gave me a, helped me get into a gym nearby. So that was awesome. Shout out to Mike. Um, so it was a lot of that, but I would say, mm, Am I Wrong by Nico and Vins, I think is the name. 
Awesome. Yeah. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you give us a, a little glimpse into that? Yeah. Uh, not perfect by any stretch. Um, like today I didn't do some of it because it was a weird day where I did like an at home sleep study last night. So my sleep was a little off. So I'm human, not perfect by any stretch, but here's a, here's a good day for me is wake up early, get on a foam roller, roll out a little bit, do some stretching and body weight exercises. Uh, Oh, by the way, I chug water before I even put my feet on the floor, uh, before the foam rolling. So I do the foam rolling like a warm up, a body weight exercise, get some blood flowing, uh, have a green drink, go into meditation. I map out my day. I wish I had it in front of me. I'm creating like a planner. Actually, I gave it to you guys, the planner I gave you guys at Unleash You. Yeah. So I'll go, I'll go through that where I'll map out three things I'm grateful for, my 30 day goals, and what are the three non-negotiable things I must get done today. And then from that point, I'm kind of like primed and ready to go. And that's the point where if it's a training day, I will go to the gym. Uh, and then I'll walk my dog Shaq. We're on a weight loss journey. He's a little big. He's living up to the name Shaq. And uh, I'll walk him after the workout. Otherwise, I'll probably go into the walk before that. Uh, but that's like what a, a good morning will look like for me. Love it. And the most important question of the day, what kind of dog do you have? <laughs> Chocolate Lab and Australian Shepherd Mix. Nice. Nice. All right. So where can people track you down if they want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, the best place is the podcast. Uh, if, they, if we love what we're talking about here, they're going to love what we're doing over there. A lot of really cool conversations. The tactical stuff is coming out. So solo episodes are coming out in February. That's the best place to go. I would love to see everybody over there and subscribing over there. And if they have any questions, just Mike Sesniak on Instagram. Like I answer all my DMs. I'm happy to connect. Would love to support however I can. Feel free to reach out. Awesome. And I will post your Instagram and Facebook stuff in the show notes so people don't have to guess on how to spell your last name. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like my life mission is to have such a massive impact in a positive way that people learn how to spell my last name. I love it. Or you could just do the Gary, the Gary V and just start calling yourself like Mike S. I tried, but here's the <laughs> downfall. My nickname growing up was Sez, S-E-Z. Okay. And if you do that, phones will autocorrect to sex. And like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be about that. Like <laughs> I, I already get enough magic mic jokes from being like six, five. So like, I, no, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I thought about it, but it's a dangerous game to play. Amber first world problems, right? Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for um, taking some time to share your day with us. We appreciate it. And I'm super excited to put this out and head everybody over to your podcast to see what you're doing. Amber, thanks for having me. This is a fun conversation. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.